Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Amanda Botfield. She's an author turned book coach who helps women write books from start to finish. Previously, she has written for The Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post, and The Los Angeles Times. Now her mission is to empower women to tell their stories and share their expertise. Hi Amanda, we're so excited to have you with us here today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you very much for the warm invitation. So Amanda, you do something very exciting for a lot of us. So let's start with what you do today. Absolutely. So I have a service, Finally Get Your Book Done, where I work with women to help them tell their stories, whether it's a personal story or they want to build their brand to write their books. It can be a short 20 minute ebook, or it can be that novel that you've been wanting to write forever. What I do when I work with women, I'm not a ghostwriter. It's not like you send me your work and then I'm just going to come back with you with a red pen and a ton of edits. Instead, I believe in a collaborative editing process where what happens is I have them talk out their ideas. And then once they've written uh, chapters, we read it out loud together and we go over it and that way, and we kind of edit it together as a team. And when you spend that hour reading your work, you're going to have so much momentum to continue writing. And then what you do write is going to be so much more polished and elevated. And I really think that the quality difference is there. And most importantly, it'll be in your own voice. You're not just handing it to an editor. It's how does this sound? How do I want to sound? What is the maximized version of me? So how did you get into this field? So that's a good question. Right after college, I worked as a writer. That was already my background. At the very end of my senior year of college, I was a contributing writer to the Huffington Post. And then I used that to get a couple of writing jobs. I was off to a quick start, you know, when I was so. 23, I got published in the Wall Street Journal, 24, the Los Angeles Times, and 25, I signed a book deal. I had a lot of momentum. But then after all of that, I was at a little bit of a crossroads and I didn't know what to do. And I felt like the writing jobs, I was being undervalued for normal writing jobs. A lot of my experience was as a political writer. And after 2016, the climate just completely changed. I was living in Washington, DC, and I was there during the election and it just became such a more polarized environment. And I didn't know if that was the right space for me anymore. I took some time, explored a different uh, path. My book that I ended up writing was about women in poker. And so I took some time kind of in that world. I got married, met my husband, and I was doing all these odd writing jobs. And I just felt underutilized. And I felt like, you know, what I had studied in school, I was editor of the newspaper, I'd worked with people in writing, in editing, and I'd had all this success with getting my pieces published. And I just, and, you know, getting my book done was also a huge victory, especially because when I turned in my book, my publishers were surprised. And they said, do you know that only 10 to 15% of our authors turn in their books on time? <laughs> so I didn't, I, I turned in it right on the deadline, right? And um, I realized there's this gap in the market, so to speak. There's this need. People have these great ideas. People want to write books and people aren't able to complete them. And they're not able to get what's in their head into reality. And so what was the tipping point was I had a friend who she was working. She still has, she works as a career coach and she wanted to write like a, again, a small ebook, you know, with resume tips, how to dress for an interview. She wanted to write this and she spent a fortune in this group program. And she calls me and says, I'm in this program to write my book and I still can't get it done. And we talked on the phone. It was a Friday night. And then Sunday morning, she texts me and she says, 
So I spent all weekend writing and I got my book done. Yes. <laughs> they were like 20 minute book. And, you know, and then I realized what's a successful session with the client. You can't wait to get off the phone with it because you have so much momentum and you're so inspired and you want to get writing just like her. You know, when you talk out your idea with someone and it's that creative space, and I mean the word creative, literally you're creating something, you're generating, you just have all the wind in your sails. And so I started doing it. It's been about six months and I have a full roster now. Congratulations. That's such a interesting and exciting story. Yes. But you know, it wasn't always glamorous while I was between jobs. I had a, you know, I took some day jobs. I was a receptionist, you know, for a little hair salons and I did spray tans at one point. I'm really, really proud that I didn't give up. And then also being able to kind of a little more humble and I had all, you know, all these prestigious credentials and then I'm, you know, doing these like day jobs. I think it really uh, gave me the stability that I needed to be able to launch a business. Now, every step of the way has a meaning, right? It all leads up to where you are. A hundred percent. We talk about credentials, right? So you went to school for a liberal arts degree. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because we have a lot of people that are really interested in writing, becoming editors. What was your experience uh, through college and what would you recommend somebody who's looking to come into your field today? That is a fantastic question. So I am a huge believer in the humanities. I have a pretty liberal arts degree. <laughs> I, I was a Jewish studies major. Absolutely loved it. When you get those kind of degrees, it teaches you how to think. It teaches you about history, society, everything. But you also need to recognize most people, it's not usually as linear. It's not like you're studying code and then you get a coding job. It's really, really what you make of it. And the reason why I was able to get writing jobs straight out of college is because of the internships that I generated in college and the things I was able to do. And, you know, when I got published in the Wall Street Journal one year out of college, I didn't have any special connections. And all I did was just about every other Friday night from my senior year of college to that point, I would write articles and I would submit them to like op-ed at wallstreetjournal.com, op-ed at newyorktimes.com, you know, and I would just submit it. And that was just my thing. And I would do this, you know, probably twice a month, sometimes even every week, just, you know, you're young, you're submitting your brilliant thoughts, right? <laughs> right, right. You know, you think, you know, everything until eventually I got that email saying, we're going to run your article. And so to be able to keep at it, and that's the behind the scenes, you know, people just like, oh, she got, you know, her article placed. That took a year. <laughs> um, but, that, but then once, you know, then I got momentum. And then I guess what people told me on the other side, the people that selected my work, so that my publisher and the LA Times editor and all these things is they were really struck by the confidence in my voice. Sometimes you just need to write the way you speak clearly and you need to write in a way that's unique to you. But having that distinction, like this needs to be an Amanda piece or a Divya piece or an Alex piece, having that personal branding is really, really important. As someone who worked in politics, the political writing space, a lot of times when people watch political shows or they read articles, they're not necessarily looking for something new. They're looking for their existing beliefs articulated with greater clarity, right? They're like, yes, they get it. They really said it how it is. That's what people want. They're not necessarily always looking for just something totally out of the box. And that's the same thing with writing. Sometimes people are like, I want to write a book, but I feel like my idea has already been done before. Well, maybe, but it hasn't been said the way that you say it. So in terms of career and people wanting to have careers, 
in creative professions, in writing, I would say one, accept that it's not always linear. Two, that uh, you should still stay at it. And three, you need to have your unique personal brand. I think that's very important. You want to be distinct. You essentially moved cross country. So you have done mm-hmm. these moves from LA to DC. Yes. And being more of a writer in the political space, that makes sense. But I'm sure the move also came with a lot of personal changes for you. How was that move? And what would you recommend? Because we do get a lot of questions about, you know, people get opportunities to move cross country, sometimes across the globe. How was that experience for you? And what did you learn out of it? Well, the funny thing is, at the time, it was my dream to be in DC. And so, you know, I I didn't quite realize, you know, I I thought it was going to be so glamorous, right? The grass is always greener. But I was really committed to this and I needed a job. You know, I wasn't just going to, I didn't have enough money to retire age 23 and gallivant around DC. But so what I did is I guessed the CEO's email addresses of the companies I wanted to work for in DC. And I just sent them cold call emails. And I remember the company that I got hired for, which was a dream job. Uh, Unfortunately, went under after the election. uh, But while I worked at the company, it was fantastic. I kept on toying around with the CEO. His name was Josh Block. So it was like Josh Block at company.com, block at company.com, jblock at company.com. And eventually I got it. It was Josh B at company.com, right? It was, it was a tricky one. And so I sent him an email saying, here's who I am. Here's what I do. I want to work for you. And not only did I get the job, but they paid for my move, which was really extraordinary. And again, this is just like my articles. I did not have any connections. That's a cold call. That's a pitch. Uh, So I did that. And I had just gotten my LA Times article published, which was a little bit out of left field for me because that was about dating. And this was in 2015. This was like when everyone was on dating apps. And I was, and I wrote about like going on all these different dates throughout Los Angeles and not really working out. And so I was like, ha, I'm just going to move to DC. And that's where, that's where the smart guys are. Right. You know, that's the answer. I just need to move. And then I'll find a brilliant intellectual man. That didn't exactly work. And instead, you know, I loved my job, but my weekends were very, very lonely. And that's, I mean, in a way that's what led me down to writing a book about women in poker because I needed something social to do. So I would play that game. It was hard moving across country and not knowing anyone. And I mean, you can tell from my personality, I'm pretty friendly. (laughs) So, but even still, there's a difference between meeting people and connecting with people. Eventually uh, I did actually end up moving back to Los Angeles where I did meet my husband. So, and and, uh, he's he's from Ireland. He was visiting uh, on a vacation. So you never know where you're going to meet, but I think it had me challenge a lot of things that I just thought I knew, right? When you're so young, you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and you're just like, I know everything. Here's where the people are that that are in my field. Here's how it's all going to work out. And being able to change a lot of uh, my perceptions was a big deal. Socially, that was that was a huge motivator for me as well, moving to DC in addition to my career. And I guess, and what I say in my Women in Poker book, what I learned about dating since I met my husband is that it's not all about the resume, right? It's about, do you feel comfortable in someone's company? You wrote the book, Girls Guide to Poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, became a really successful book. So congratulations on that. Clearly you play poker because if you have written (laughs) such a good book on the topic, you must be good in it. So let's talk a little bit about your personal journey in poker. Yeah. 
Well, I do just want to say the inspiration for the book was, do you know the For Dummies series, the reference series? Yes. So I kind of wanted to do that as part of a series, a girl's guide to poker, a girl's guide to politics, a girl's guide to history, a girl's guide to making money. You know, I wanted at the time to do, to do kind of like the legally blonde version of reference books. Again, having it in my own voice, I wanted to write it in a way that was funny. And when writing that book, even though it's like a poker textbook, like how to play, my goal was every paragraph to have a punchline. I wanted it to be funny and upbeat. And now one of the things that I do on the side is I teach uh, classes for an organization that's a big hedge fund, Peak Six, but they have a subdivision, a small company, Poker Power, and we teach women poker skills to teach them business skills. My father, he has two sayings. He says, one, everything I learned about business, I learned from poker. And two, in business, you never get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. And what I think is really, really important and why I fell in love with the game is, you know, when you sit down at a table, especially I was 23. I was in DC. I felt like no one listened to me. I was in politics, right? I just, I felt like a barking puppy all the time. I felt like so small. And what I liked about playing the game is why is your hand worth it? Because I say it is. I'm betting, you know, a hundred chips. I'm declaring the value and people certainly listen to bets. (laughs) You know, when you put someone at a decision for all of their chips in a tournament, they hear you. And all of a sudden I felt big and I felt seen and powerful, it also transformed my relationship with money a little bit. Unfortunately, the only financial advice we're given, particularly as women, is spend less, save more. And it's funny because once I got into poker, all of my recommendations on YouTube started to change because they started to think I was a guy or similar guy categories. And all of a sudden you get like all these business ideas and how to make money online and investing. And you start being in conversations, well, how to, you know, not just put all your assets in cash, which women also do more so than men rather than investing. And how do you generate wealth? And what I like is when you play a poker tournament, maybe like a hundred dollars and you get 20,000 chips and everyone gets the same amount of chips. So it's a fair playing field. And it's a unique experience playing with capital, you know, instead of just having your bills dictate how much you risk or spend or go for in the world, you have 20,000 chips. And then you have a lot more freedom. Are you going to be more conservative? Are you going to be more aggressive? Are you going to be a little bit of a mix? And you can only win as much as you make. If you bet a dollar, you win $2. But if you bet 50, you can win 50. So really having those experiences working with wealth. And I think it's kind of a, it's like very advanced monopoly. (laughs) You know, it's, it's dealing with capital. And I think it's really valuable for women in business. And probably even more so for women who come from the creative writing space like me, who aren't used to working in numbers. So not only do you play, you even made the final cities of the world last year. Uh, The World Series of Poker is like the biggest stage for poker. They have a couple of different events. And one of them, you can play with a partner. I played with my father and we took third place. Whoa, congratulations. Thank you. It's very exciting. So... So you mentioned your father a couple of times already. So I'm thinking he's definitely somebody who really shaped you. Were there other people, including your father, who really shaped you who you are today? My professors in college. So I gave him the commencement speech at my university. I went to the University of California, Santa Cruz, which is this known for being a rebellious, funky, you know, it is uh, the way the campus is designed. There's no center of campus because there's, they were worried there would be too many protests. So they had to disperse the campus, right? It is radical. 
a lot of times people say that they're contrarian or they're radical or they're independent thinking, but they're really not. They're just saying, here's how you think differently, but you need to agree with these views. My speech, it was the anniversary of, I think the 60th anniversary. I don't know. It was some anniversary of our university, a couple decades in, and it had this, our university's slogan was the original authority on resisting authority. And that was what my speech was about. And that's what I learned from my professors. It was how do you genuinely think independently, think differently, think critically. I was a Jewish studies major. So you're looking at a lot of, you know, in addition to the Holocaust, genocide in general, and you're looking at these uh, horrible events. And it's, you know, I think there's the famous saying, or just following orders, right? It's how do you think differently? How do you think outside of the box? And how do you think for yourself? So again, that's why I'm such an advocate of humanities majors. Excuse me. And my professors, I have the utmost respect in the world for them. The amount of integrity they had in really practicing what they preach. And when they were saying, and there were times when, you know, I would disagree with my professors or I've been challenging these or be exploring subjects. And they really talked it through with me, gave me the space to think and explore having that education. I really do think is how we change the world. So if you had to go back and you had a chance to do something differently, what yep. would that be? You know, I would have gotten a day job sooner. Post DC and when I was in LA, I was in a transition point and I was doing these writing jobs, which were fine, but I wasn't getting ahead. And I also didn't feel like I was getting fair compensation for my background and my degree and who I was and what I brought to the table. Having those day jobs gave me the ability to start my own business and also gave me the confidence to be entrepreneurial. When you are always working for someone else, it's great in that it's, you know, you're, it's consistent and steady and it's salaried, but it also kind of keeps you safe. And so having the ability to kind of do my own thing a little bit. really. So yeah, I wouldn't have tried so hard to work in jobs that weren't a good fit. So one of the jobs, as you said, you were also working within politics. Yeah. And we know it's, it's a big man's world still. Yes. Were there instances where you felt you were not being heard, either because you were a woman or because you were very young to begin with? And how did you overcome those challenges? Both as a woman and being young. Um, that was why I think I had to eventually go my own way. You know, some companies, like that one that I uh, originally moved to DC for, it was fantastic. And it was a great environment where I did finally feel heard. That was not my experience with all the organizations I worked for. I think that, you know, there's just a question in life. Do you try to fix the system from within or do you try to create a new system? And I think there's merits to both approaches. In some of those companies, eventually I just didn't feel like there was interest in change, which is probably not a surprise because it's in politics. <laughs> And, you know, and it was a lot about who funded old, pretty old school. So even if the coworkers you're working with and your boss, even if they're more newer generation and, you know, newer ways of thinking, a lot of times who funds these organizations are completely in a different mindset and from a different time, both in the messaging they want and how they see people like young women. I think it's very case by case. Finding the right fits and conversations where you do feel empowered is important. My very first job, I did end up leaving it because I felt like I didn't have enough voice. And the second job I got was horrible. And I felt like I'd made the biggest mistake because my first one, it was a good job, but I just felt small. 
I just felt not heard, not listened to. So I left to a different company and they were nicer to me, but the work was horrible. I was just writing press releases all day long and it was like in a dark office and it wasn't good. And that's when I started cold emailing saying, here's what I really want to do. I want to be in DC. I want to work for a big company. And then it worked out. Being able to make those moves and make those decisions and also, you know, not be too influenced by a small sample size. Because I could have just gone from that one company to the other. And I could have been like, I made a mistake and I'm sure the original company would have taken me back. You know, I, I, I could have just done that. That's true. So along the way, I'm yeah. sure you had some naysayers. Yes. How did you overcome those situations? Because we all face them. Yeah, definitely. When I was doing those day jobs, it was so hard for me because of the way people saw me, right? Like I'm doing spray tans for people. They don't see me as, you know, as, as someone who's gonna, who's as, as a published author who helps out, you know, and who has all these writing credentials and can contribute all these things to our societal discourse. So I think what helps me is I think of other people in my shoes. And I remember I spoke with a therapist who has a PhD and she's been on TV and she's all around the world and she's has books of her own. And she said when she was getting her PhD, she had to be getting coffee for someone while she was going through school, right? For someone who didn't even have half as many degrees as she had even before that point. And just saying, being like, you know what? She's successful. I can look at her as an example. And she didn't let that get her down. Very, very important. And then the other thing in terms of naysayers is a lot of times when you're trying to start an online business of any sort, everyone is used to look at how much, you know, successful I am doing this, doing that, right? People, first of all, can be a little embarrassing to promote your business. And then second of all, it doesn't always go over well. A lot of times people like, they think very funny, right? And they're questioning and they're skeptical. Being able to kind of find your right spaces you know, I realized that maybe this isn't appropriate for my Twitter feed as much because I have a different following there. Maybe this is better for LinkedIn. Finding circles where you feel that you can speak to your highest self and elevate yourself and not be as vulnerable to naysayers. I think that we're told in order to be successful, we have to have a super thick skin. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think that has to be a prerequisite to everyone. I think we can also be more strategic about the spaces we put ourselves in. And we still need to have, you know, some confidence, but you know, a reasonable skin, which I think comes with confidence in yourself and your services. It won't get to you if it doesn't resonate, right? If the criticism doesn't resonate. So then, then it doesn't matter. Being able to still put ourselves out there, but do it kind of with baby steps. You know, for me, when I was getting my articles published and I was sending to those anonymous email inboxes, they were anonymous. And that kind of gave me the confidence to like be writing my work and writing my work. And then once those got picked up and I got reassured that I would cold email people and editors. So then I got further, but being able to be strategic about the spaces we put ourselves in. So based on your experience, do you notice certain behaviors or uh, mindsets that women have that kind of hold us back? hundred percent. So whenever I do a consultation call, talking with someone about writing a book, everyone, they either get stumped by one or two things. And they're really the same sides of the coin. So they either say, A, I'm not motivated enough. I just need to get inspired. Or B, and this is what I especially hear from female clients, it's the self-shaming. It's the, I'm not disciplined. I just need to sit down 
grind this out. And then they feel so much guilt. They feel like, why aren't I able to do this? And it becomes a personal value statement. For me, with my book coaching sessions, my goal is to make it not feel hard. Because whether you're saying I'm not motivated enough or I'm not disciplined enough, what you're saying is this is a chore. This is some task that I need to overcome instead of, oh my gosh, Amanda, I've been talking to you for an hour about my book idea and I'm so excited and I just need to get writing and let's put this on the page. And I have this idea and that idea. And it's this generative space where it just feels effortless. That's what I want my sessions to be. And I think as women being able to kind of come from a place of fire and passion is so valuable saying that this was an electrifying experience, writing your book, not, you know, I just... I had to sit down, grind it out. I got three paragraphs done, right? It's just such, I think that that's the tie-in with both with the book writing and then also um, as women. And when you write a book, even if only your mom reads it, having it done and having it done in a way that's a labor of love, having it done in a way that's happy and positive and inspired, I think that's so healthy for us as women, reinvents and puts a different spin on how we get work done. Any final comments for our listeners, Amanda? If you can speak well, you can write well. (laughs) I really believe that if you have something to say and it's in your head, it's worth getting onto the page. People spend their whole lives with a book idea in their head. That's why I called my service, finally get your book done. Every idea is valuable, particularly if it's told by you. And that's what will make it unique. Be the unique snowflake (laughs) in, in the universe and have the confidence to be like, you know what? I have something worth saying. Thank you so much, Amanda. This was so informative, especially for me. That was that was great. Thank you so much, Amanda. Really appreciate your time. And thanks for being our guest on Woman to Woman podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much.